Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Um, please welcome to the stage, Pastor Jim Hennessy. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. God bless you. God bless you, Summit Church. Oh my goodness, I, I, I love our church in Indiana. I'm so happy to be here. I've made up my mind. I really, really like Mel and Kim. How about you? Yeah, I really like those guys. I would go, I would go to battle with those guys alongside just any time, any time, and uh, just lay, lay down my life for them. I love them so much. More than like them, I really love them. I'm just wondering... I want to tag on to something that Todd was, wasn't that great worship? Like, Don't you love that? Those guys are amazing. I just want to tag on to something he, he said. I felt the Holy Spirit kind of, kind of give me uh, something special. Is there anyone in this service who is g- trying to make like a major decision? I mean, like it's a category one decision. It feels like, you know, this is a, like a life-changing moment for you. And you just... You're having a tough time hearing from God. Is there anybody that's willing to say that? You? Is there anybody else? You three? A couple, three or four? Okay. Um, I don't want to, up in, how about up here? Anybody? Like a life-changing decision, relationally or maybe financially? Okay. These guys down here, I I felt the Holy Spirit say for those of you here in the middle of making life-changing decisions that you're you're a little maybe you're a little disappointed because you haven't heard God speak to you the specific direction that you're that you want to hear from him and it's because he's not treating you like a servant now he's treating you like a son or a daughter it's like he he's not going to tell you exactly what to do because he has given his mind to you He's given you the ability to make a quality decision that will manifest his glory and uh, be in peace about the decision because whatever decision you make, his redeeming power, his, he's going to rush to that with strength and, um, and, and with all the grace and resource you need for that to be a successful decision. But, but come back away from the anxiety and just rest in the idea that you do have the mind of Christ. So I don't know if that helps or not, but I felt that pretty strong in my heart. <clears throat> so... I want to talk to you for a few moments about winning your war, winning your war with words, winning your war with words. And um, I know that you guys like the Bible, so I have lots of Bible for you today. And again, if you remember from the last time I was here, I just tend to impose Texas traditions on you. I don't know if you guys do this or not, but pretend like you're in Texas and stand for the reading of God's Word, all right? So if you just say, I'm not in Texas, I'm in Pennsylvania, you can stay seated. It won't offend me at all, all right? Just, I want to read to you some portions of Scripture out of Colossians as, as well out of, out of Luke. And uh, this is Colossians chapter 1. Paul is writing this letter to his church, um, one of his favorite churches, really. And uh, I'm going to start, let's see, I'm going to start around verse 4. For we've heard of your devoted lives of faith. We've heard of your devoted lives of faith in Christ and your tender love toward all his holy believers. Man, I'm hearing that word holy today too, holy. So your faith and love, your faith and love rise within you as you access all the treasures of your inheritance stored up in the heavenly realm. For the revelation of the true gospel is as real today as the day you first heard. Now that you have believed in the truth 
of the gospel. And I missed that sentence. For the revelation of the true gospel is real today as the day you first heard of our glorious hope, now that you have believed in the truth of the gospel. This is the wonderful message that is being spread everywhere, powerfully changing hearts through the earth, just like it changed you. Hmm. Every believer of this good news bears the fruit of eternal life as they experience the reality of God's grace. And then there's some talk about a guy named Epaphras who was teaching the church um, the astonishing revelation of the gospel. He's serving you faithfully. He's informed us, watch this, he's informed us of the many wonderful ways that love is being demonstrated through your lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Since we first heard about you, we've kept you in our prayers that you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over you. It would make you a reservoir of every kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, that you would please God in every good thing you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. And, as if that weren't enough, we pray that you would be energized with his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hopes. Your hearts can soar with joyful grace. It goes on and on and on, on and on and on. And then just a couple of verses from Luke chapter 10, because guys, Luke chapter 10 has rocked my world. It has radically changed my approach to Christian faith. And uh, maybe, maybe it'll do that for you as well. But uh, it says... Luke chapter 10, I think I'm starting, this is a really small print. I think I'm starting around verse, I don't know what verse that is, four or five. I don't know. The harvest is huge and ripe. The harvest is huge and ripe. And, and I want to I send you. So it says, now, now off you go. I, I like that. Off you go. I'm sending you out even though you feel as vulnerable as lambs going into a pack of wolves. You won't need to take anything. Just trust just trust in God alone. Once you enter a house, speak to the people there and say, God's blessing of peace be upon this house. Goes on and talks about some of the benefits of that. And then, oh, I guess verse, verse 21, when, when you go in, heal the sick. No, I'm sorry. This is, this is still verse, verse 8 and 9. Go in, heal the sick. Tell them all. God's kingdom realm has arrived, and it's now within your reach. And then, you know, verse, verse 21 says, uh, then Jesus, overflowing with the Holy Spirit's anointing of joy, exclaimed, Father, thank you. Thank you for you are Lord supreme over heaven and earth. You have hidden the great revelation of this authority from those who are proud. This is what pleases your heart. And the very way you've chosen to extend your kingdom to give to those who become like trusting children and if I read things that they messed up, it wasn't they were messing it up, it was me jumping around because I've changed it every service, the part that I've been reading. But you should know that what I have read to you is the loving, liberating word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> the reason I love Colossians 1 so much is because it reminds me of an episode in my own life when I was um, seven years old, my parents moved from Montgomery, Alabama to Columbus, Georgia. And when I was in Montgomery, Alabama, I was a terrible baseball player. I struck out every time. Every time the ball was hit to me, I missed it. I just knew in my mind, everybody knew. I was a terrible baseball player. I didn't want to play when we moved. But my dad said, you're going to have to play baseball no matter what. 
So I remember the day that he signed me up. I think I told you the story the last time I was with you, actually, but I'll tell you again. Um, my dad signed me up for baseball, and I remember the conversation. The, the coach said, oh, we're so glad to have your son on our team. Is he a good baseball player? And my dad looked right in the eyes of that coach and said, my son's a great baseball player. Now I have a problem because my dad is my pastor and he's a liar at the same time. So I'm just like, how's that going to work out? But um, the coach says, great, what position does he play? My dad looked at me, looked at him and said, what position do you need him to play? The coach says, we really need a pitcher. My dad looked at me, looked at him and said, my son is a great pitcher. I had never pitched before in my life except to my dad in the backyard. And the coach says, good, we need a pitcher today. Let him pitch today's baseball game. And before God, I pitched my very first baseball game ever as a seven-year-old. And I don't know if you have baseball fans or if you're a baseball fan or not, but I pitched a perfect game. Nobody got on base. Nobody got a hit. Nobody scored a run. I didn't walk anybody. And from that day on, I don't know how to say this with humility, but I was a great baseball player. <laughs> I was a great baseball player because... My dad believed in me more than I believed in myself. My dad spoke words over my life that unveiled or opened the gate to potential that I didn't even know I had. That's why I like Colossians 1 so much because Paul is speaking words that open the gate. He says, like, now that you've heard the gospel... <laughs> I'm going to start praying for you. I'm not praying for you before you get the gospel. But now that you get the gospel, I'm going to start praying for you because, and I've got a little short list here. He says, I see you demonstrating the love of God. That's what Paul said. He said, I see you operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I can imagine you, says Paul, and he's speaking the words. I, I can see you filled with the knowledge of God's pleasure over your life. Wouldn't that be awesome? He says, I, I just see so much potential in you. You could be a reservoir of spiritual wisdom and understanding. You could be mature. You could be filled with great hope. He goes on and on and on about the potential that he sees in these people once they have received the gospel. And, and I'm reminding you again, Paul's voice, like a father's voice, is projecting a trajectory over their lives. And, and, and he's like, oh, this is going to be great. You are an amazing pitcher, you know. But the problem is, there are some other voices speaking into their lives as well. And these are the voices that are vying for their destiny. I'm going to tell you something you probably already know. There is a warfare over your destiny. There is a warfare over the potential of your lives. And the warfare is not bullets and bombs. It's a spiritual warfare. There are two kingdoms that are competing for Every inch of creation, every, every inch of affection in your heart. There are two kingdoms, you know, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, and they're competing for your identity. They're competing for the authority that you carry in, in, in the earth. And, you know, that's why the big problems that are in our culture are not easily solved because they're not just natural problems. They're influenced by spiritual forces. I mean, that's why racism is so hard to get rid of. Poverty, those, that, those have spiritual tentacles attached to those problems. That's, that's why they're not easily solved. But the main point I want to make with you simply today is there's a, there's a warfare over your destiny and the objective of your enemy is to 
keep you down. Keep you down. Keep you from living in your potential now that you've heard the gospel. Um, you know, this, this keeping you down usually involves deception. It involves deception about the goodness of God. It involves deception about who you are in Christ, your identity. And, and, and it makes sense to me that the devil would want to try to keep you down because if he keeps you down, he never gets challenged. If you rise up into your potential, then you're going to destroy the works of his kingdom. So he's doing everything he can to, to keep you down. I watched the basketball game last night. I don't know if you watched it or not, man. I was, it was one of the best basketball games I think I'd ever seen. And I noticed that the players who have the greatest potential receive the greatest pressure. What if the pressure that you're feeling in your life right now is proportionate to the potential that God has deposited in you? See? What if the pressure you feel is related to the potential that you carry? Romans 8 tells us the world is such a mess because, and it says it like this, it says, the world is groaning, wait, all of creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that the suffering that is going on in the world right now is alleviated someday when we step into our full potential. And I know that's talking about the end of time in some regards, but did you know Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, now when Christians, for instance, pray for their enemies or when they become radically generous, it says, then you are the sons of God. Well, we're already the sons of God. We've got our birth certificate by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ. But there are ways in which our sonship unveils itself in the earth. We manifest as sons and daughters of God. We become saltier. We become more brilliant in our light. And the degree to which our light is shining, our salt is savory, to that degree, the suffering in the earth diminishes, we can make the groaning go down if we'll show up, if we'll be, if we'll live in our potential. I'm going to tell you something again. I just, I want to be practical, and I think this is practical. Sp the spiritual warfare over your potential involves words, words. Paul's words to the Colossian church, you know, you're going to be a great baseball player. I, I might have got that mixed up with what my dad said, but, you know, it's like you're going to be a reservoir of wisdom and understanding versus the words that, you know, are on Facebook, the words that your spouse ugh, screamed. Can I use that word? You know, I don't know. Do you scream in Pennsylvania, Texas sometimes, you know? When, you know, when, when, when you forgot her birthday, the words that your dad used when you wrecked the car the first time you borrowed the car, you know, I mean, those are piercing words and there's a competition. Your heart attaches to the words that you carry. See, I think Timothy's a great example of this because Paul wrote a letter to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I need you to fight the good fight of faith because there's potential over your life, Timothy. You know, you've received prophetic words and promises and there's a destiny over you. We laid our hands on you, man, and the Holy Spirit imparted something special to you. And I don't care if you're young and I don't care if you've got an upset stomach. Just drink a little wine, but show up, man. Don't, do not minimize who you are now that you've heard the gospel. See. 
But there were words that were warring over Timothy. You read, the, you read the letter and it's all about words. It's like, Timothy, don't pay attention to the endless genealogies and the myths and the fables and the controversies rather than God's words. He goes on and says, talks about in Timothy meaningless words and, and empty words and godless chatter. And again, it's the same idea. There are words running around the atmosphere fighting for the affections of our heart. Our heart will fasten to words. And so Paul knows that the clear and present danger for young Timothy is that his heart would fasten to the words that would chain his potential, that would hinder, keep him down. You see. Now, the reason I read Luke 10 to you is because I think what happens in Luke 10 is a group of disciples, not just the 12, there's 70 of them actually, and they awaken to their potential. There's a realization like, oh my goodness, we had no idea. We had no idea that God could use us like this. And I'll just tell you, you know, what's going on. There's one phrase in Luke 10 that just really grabs my attention. You know, Jesus says to these guys, this is how I plan to extend my kingdom. This is how I plan to expand my kingdom. And here's what he did. He said, put your eyes on the harvest. You need to know there's some people who are ready to come into the kingdom. And this is what I want you to do. Guys, he's like, I want to divide you into 35 teams. And I want you to go into the places where I have an intention. I want you to go to the cities where I plan to go. And I want you to do three things. I want you to speak the blessing of peace. I want you to eat with them. And I want you to heal them if they're sick. And he says in Luke chapter 10, remember that when you speak... They're actually listening to my words. I'm like, what? Why? Because Jesus said, when I speak, my words become spirit and life. And now he's saying, if you'll speak the blessings of peace, it's like they'll be listening to my words. So they did it. They did it. They went on this little missions trip. The, the 35 teams, they went and they pronounced the blessings of peace. And when they came back, the outcomes were profound. They were like, oh, Jesus, 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 you're not going to believe what happened. Even the demons started tumbling down when we did what you asked us to do. And the sick were getting healed. And Jesus was like, yeah, yeah. And not only that, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And I have no idea what that means. I've studied it to try to figure it out. I don't know what that means, but it sounds really good. Don't you think that Satan would fall down like lightning? And what I think it might mean is whatever regime and authority he had over the neighborhoods, he lost it. Because the people of God began to walk in their potential. They began to realize something going on between them and Jesus and, and their neighborhoods. And, and, and it was just an amazing thing. I've come all the way from Dallas, Texas, can you believe it, to contend, to contend for what Christianity could be. I mean, you know, Jesus never came. He never intended to start a religion. He came to unveil his kingdom. He, come to un, he came to unveil his reign and his rule. And, and, and I've come to remind you that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus. But I want to try to stay practical. And I just want to, I just want to ask the question, how are we in Indiana, Pennsylvania? How are we going to expand the kingdom? How are we going to extend the kingdom? And I think it's very similar strategy as we read in Luke chapter 10. I love verse Verse 21 is one of the places where my heart just attaches to this so much because the Bible says, here's when, when, 
It says, when they came back and gave their testimonies, Jesus, I'm reading the Bible now, overflowing with the Holy Spirit's anointing of joy. He's like, he's so happy. Jesus is so happy. Overflowing with the Holy Spirit's anointing of anointing of joy, exclaimed, Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for you are Lord supreme over heaven and earth. And watch this. You have hidden the great revelation of authority. You've hidden. I'm so happy because you didn't show this to those who are proud, those who are wise in their own eyes, but you've shared it with those who have humbled themselves. Now, you know I'm not a guest speaker because a guest speaker would never come and preach to a church about humility. I'm like saying, you guys need to humble yourselves. I would never, you know, the guest speakers don't do that. So I feel at home. I feel, I feel like family. But I, I want you to see the secret of the kingdom. It's the humble people who unveil the authority of heaven into the earth. It's not those who are wise in their own eyes. It's not those who wear religious badges. It's not those who have the pedigree. It's those who say, God, I want you and I need you. Those are the guys who tear down demonic strongholds over the region. See? So, so how are we... How are we going to extend the kingdom? How are we going to humbly kick the devil's uh, agenda? <laughs> How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to say it, we're going to pray it, we're going to wait for it, and we're going to worship. Say it, pray it, wait for it, and worship. Number one, we, we have to say it. Verse three, these guys, they, the Bible says, they felt as vulnerable as lambs among wolves. And, and yet, they went forward, and verse 5 says, well, you have to say it even though you feel vulnerable. Say God's blessing of peace upon this house. God's blessing of peace upon this house. I just want to practice on you. God's blessing of peace upon this house. See. But why did they feel vulnerable? Well, they felt vulnerable because they are having to shift their trust from their own skill set and their religious upbringing to trusting in who Jesus really is. Instead of trusting in their techniques, they're gonna to have to trust in Jesus. And, and that, makes people feel, that makes people feel vulnerable, see? It's like, what if I bless the house and the roof starts leaking? What if I, bless, what if I pray for somebody to get healed and they stay sick? Then, and, and Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. You say it, and I'll say amen to it. Did you know one of the names of Jesus in the book of Revelation is the Amen? I'm from Texas, so sometimes when I'm preaching, my, my people will say Amen. I've noticed that you don't do that much in Pennsylvania. That's great. I love it because that way I get more words in. I get more time, you see. So, so don't, don't interrupt me while I'm talking. You know what I'm saying? But, but sometimes they'll say Amen. And, and I kind of like that too because when they say, when they say Amen, they're, what they're saying, it's very technical. What they're saying is, so be it. My heart responds to that truth. I'm agreeing with that. And so we would think in terms of when God would say something, our job would be to say amen to it, and it works that way, but it also works the other way where God says, no, no, I'm giving humans, in the ch I'm giving them authority and dominion in the earth, so if my children say it, the God in heaven will say amen to it, so be it. Let's let that happen. So you gotta, so you gotta say it. You gotta say it. Say the blessings of peace. Uh, 
I became so enamored with this, I actually started practicing. I started everywhere. In fact, since I've been here, there's been about four people that I've just said, can I bless you? I'd like to bless you with the blessing. And, and, I've, and I've done it, but I've done it a lot. Every time it seems to really be life-giving to people. I, I remember I, the first, one of the first times I did it, I felt vulnerable as a lamb among a wolf. There was a, a corporate board meeting I had been invited to to just give a brief devotion, just to open it up. The owner of the business was a Christian, but in the room there was about 20 of the richest people I've ever been around in my life. I mean, they're probably not as rich as you, but they were rich people. They were so wealthy, and I knew they were. I knew some of them. They were big-time Dallas people, okay? But I'd been invited to give a little opening devotion, a little five-minute talk, you know? And so, and so I talked for a minute, and, and I, could, I had this in my heart. I heard, I heard the Holy Spirit say, bless them, bless them. I'm like, God, they're already blessed. Don't you know how much money they have in their checking? It's like, no, 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 bless them. And so I just said, I just asked him, I said, do you mind, guys? I know my, t- my time is up, but do you mind if I just speak a blessing of peace over your life? What are they going to say, right? So, so there were, I don't know, there maybe 20 in the room, and I just started looking to the guy on the left, and I says, I just, I, there's a little formula. It's like, in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God, I bless you with peace. And then I start using the word may. May the Lord give to you an awareness of his deep love. May the Lord heal every broken place in your life and in your children. And I just went around the room. I just started talking to them like that. I went around there. It took about two minutes. And, and so I didn't know if anything, I mean, some of them you could tell they were kind of crying and stuff like that. But I went to their cocktail party that night where everybody was. And I was the life of the party, y'all. I am not kidding. People lined up to talk to me. And they were like, as soon as you spoke that blessing, I called my wife. And I said, honey, we, we can't get a divorce. We're going to have to. He blessed our marriage. And, and, and another one said, I got a call yesterday from one of the guys that was in the room. He says, since you prayed that blessing over me, he said, my business has increased. My children who have not spoken to me in two years call me and they're coming. I'm just telling you, it's an exciting thing to be able to say a blessing of peace and have Jesus say amen to it. It's an amazing thing. Say it. But not just say it. Pray it. You got to pray it. It's not magic. If you want to stay humble, you're going to have a life of prayer. You're going to say words to God and you're going to listen to his words. Um, Colossians says, when I saw that you had embraced the gospel, I began to pray for you. And Paul said, Timothy, here's how you can win the word war. Here's how you win the war with words. Say words to God. Stay connected with God. Chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Timothy says, pray with gratitude to God. Pray for all men with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with passion. And pray for every political leader. This is This is weird. Every political, every political leader and representative so that we may be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God. I know we think we live in a hostile political climate, and we do, but can I tell you, Timothy also lived in a political, a, a hostile political climate, and, and he said, if you want to win the war of the words that are out there, start praying. Just start, just start praying. I mean, Rome was, Rome was mean, and, and the emperors were, and the, and the religious leaders were persecuting the Christians. It was a hostile political crime, climate. And he said, I just need you, Timothy, to, to have a projection, have a trajectory, and prayer is going to be a big part of it. Humble yourself with prayer. How many of you know it's easy to obey when it's easy to obey? Sometimes it's just like, this is one of the things, do you really want the potential that God has in you to be realized? Then Paul says to Timothy, you you just need to pray. 
I, I love one of my favorite illustrations in the Old Testament. It's when Elisha said, I think I've got some potential in my life, Elijah. I don't know if you know this story or not. I think, I think, I think there's some potential over me. I want a double portion of everything I've seen you do. Elijah's like, wow, you've asked for a hard thing. Only God can really give you a double portion. But I'll tell you this, Elisha, if you'll stay focused and you'll stay filled with faith and you, if you see me go to heaven, then I believe the double portion will come from heaven and land on you. And so, I, I don't know, I'm using my imagination a little bit, but don't you think Elisha was like, okay, I'm going to really try to stay focused on this, but man, I sure would like to sleep in today, but what if this is the day that Elijah goes, or man, I'd really like to go to the movies this Friday night, but what if during the movies, Elijah's going, so he's like, no, I'm going to stay focused, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the hard thing, and Elijah, he's not much of an encouragement at all, because he keeps telling Elisha, Elisha, stay here, stay here, stay in Jericho, it's a good place, stay, you know, just stay in Gilgal, a lot of good things in Gilgal, got some nice restaurants in Gilgal, stay there, stay there. But Elisha kept saying, no, no, I can't settle in this place. I didn't sign up for the victories that are in Jericho or the victories that are in Gilgal. That's not what I signed up for. I signed up for the full potential that was available to me. And, and if you know the rest of that story, he actually was focused on Elijah when he went up and then you received the double portion. I use that illustration to simply speak over Summit Church today and just say, listen, I've had the privilege of watching the favor of God increase upon you guys every year. It's wonderful. Let's celebrate it and be thankful for, you know, for all of the good things that God has deposited. But please don't settle for this place. This is not the full potential. This is not the glory place. God, God wants to take us from glory to glory to glory to glory. And it's going to take some people who use words who are are prayerful, who are humble, who say, God, we want everything you can trust, everything that you've deposited in us, please bring it into our lives. Amen. So you're going to say it, you're going to pray it, and you got to wait for it. This is, I don't like this part. <laughs> Verse 1 of chapter 10 in Luke says, go ahead of him into every town that he's intending to visit. Uh, there's a little process there. It, it's all about the harvest. There's a harvest. He says, it's ready, it's ripe. But those of you who know anything about harvest, you know a harvest is only ready and ripe after somebody planted the seed and waited. You gotta wait. I don't know, maybe this is just me, but nothing reminds me of my need for humility like having to wait. I mean, I want it just right. It's maybe uh, these guys are having, having to wait. Isaiah says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. But I still don't like it, even though it's in the Bible. <laughs> wait. But then I did the word study, and it, it made a little more sense to me because the word that Isaiah uses there is a very, very special word. And, and it literally means to twist together. It means to weave together. And so the idea of waiting is that season in our life when God's heart is, is, is like making a rope. It's like when God's heart is twisting with our heart and, and our heart is twisting with God's heart to make a strong, unbelievable, 
unbreakable bond between heaven and earth. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, it's not just about your performance or your output. Sometimes it's about how God is putting his values inside you. It's about how God is putting his kingdom inside of you. And you're allowing that, that, that delight of the Lord to be twisted. In, in fact, Psalm 37 uses the word. I love Psalm 37. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. You might have quoted this one before. Put it in your, on your refrigerator. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, I love that verse. But few of us read all the way to verse 7 where it says, be still and wait patiently for him. But if you keep reading, you get to verse 23, and it says, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall. So it's like these two, it's a sandwich, right? On one piece of bread, you got and put your desires in the Lord, and you know, he'll put, put your delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And then you've got this twisting together with the kingdom, with his values and his passions. Let who he is come into you and let who you are come into him. And then it ends with another piece of bread. And it's like, now the Lord's delight is in you. After you've waited, the Lord's delight is in you. And as a result, you'll never fall. You'll never stumble. But there's a waiting, see. There's a twisting. There's a weaving together. And then finally, we have to say it. We have to pray it. We have to wait for it. And we have, to, we have to worship. And there's, this is a great worship scene, I think, in Luke chapter 10. The guys come back, and I've already told you, they're so elated. They're like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We had no idea this much potential was in our lives. We had no idea. I mean, Jesus, can you believe it? Demons came tumbling down, and sick people were getting healed. And Jesus was like, yeah, yeah, and I saw Satan. I saw Satan fall, and they're just dancing and high-fiving and chest-bumping one another, you know. And then Jesus says, but, but remember the humble part, guys. Let your unshakable source of joy, let your unshakable source of peace be this. God knows who you are, and he's written your name. He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. Let that be the anchor. I don't know if there's anyone in the 11 o'clock service who, who has yet to have your name written in the Lamb's book, but please don't leave today without making sure that your name has been written in the blood of Jesus so that your eternal destiny, he's like, just remember that. Let that be the source of your joy. Let that be why you worship. All right, let me close with this. Um, <clears throat> Jesus was born of a virgin, and then he disappeared. You know, we got the wise men, and we got the shepherds, and we got the star in the sky, and then Jesus just disappeared. What happened to him? We don't really know. He, I mean, he was probably working as a carpenter somewhere. We don't know. We don't know what he was doing. But then after a while, he came out of hiding. He, he registered for baptism. <laughs> he showed up. John the Baptist baptized him. And from heaven came words. Do you remember that? The Father's words. From heaven came his Father's word. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All of a sudden, by the words of the Father, 
his identity was established. Jesus had everything he needed to, to realize the potential that Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets had announced. He's like, oh, all of a sudden, because the Father said the words over him, Jesus said, he had acceptance, you're mine. He had affection, I love you, you're my beloved. He had affirmation, I'm well pleased in you. Jesus hadn't turned, he had not turned any water into wine or walked on any water. He had done nothing yet. And yet he had the affirmation, the acceptance, the affection of his father. He had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The dove came down on him. Just because the father's words came to Jesus. And all of a sudden his identity, his, his potential awakened within him. Well, the next scene is, is a couple of miles away. It's on the mount that we now call the Mount of Temptation. And Satan came and tried to attack the potential, tried to put chains around the potential of Jesus. He kept saying, every, every temptation began with, if you are, the son, if you've got so much going for you, why are you so hungry? You got so much going for you. He's just, and, and I guess the devil thought Jesus might have been vulnerable with his identity because all of Jesus' life, he had, to, he had to fight to keep his potential, his identity. I mean, the religious people kept saying, you can't be who you say you are because, well, your disciples picked grain on the Sabbath day. You, even his own brothers didn't believe he was who he said he was. But Jesus, he was, so, he was so cool. He was so emotionally secure. He just kept saying, look, I know where I came from <laughs> and I know where I'm going. So he was born of a virgin and he received words from the Father. He defeated the words of the enemy. And then right after the temptation, he showed up at a little synagogue in Nazareth. If you go to Israel, you can actually go in that synagogue. Right now, they recently found the synagogue that they believed Jesus made this proclamation. I think he made it with a little attitude. I think he threw his shoulders back a little bit and he said, I've got something to say to you guys. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I am about to, because he knows his potential, see. I am about to open prison doors and set captives free and cause the blind to see. I'm about to cause lame people to leap. I'm about to declare a day of jubilee, a day of freedom. And then he says, this day, right now, what has been prophesied by Isaiah is being fulfilled in your, in your very presence. And the Bible says, this is in Luke chapter four, the Bible says that the people who were in the room that day were astonished. They were in awe of the words that were coming out of this guy. And you know, one of the reasons is because for 400 years, there had been silence. For 400 years, no preacher had ever said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. No, there had been no awareness of the presence of God. For 400 years, all they had was religion and ritual. They, they had no presence of God like we've experienced in this service today. They never had that. And now in the room, as Jesus is releasing his words, they're sensing, oh my, what does God have in store for our city? What is this man going to bring? But there was one guy in the room that day who said, wait a minute, isn't this the carpenter's son? 
isn't this Joseph's son? And with his words, he negated the potential of the city. They were so familiar with Joseph that they were like, and, and in my imagination, everybody else is like, oh, thank you for reminding us of that. For just a minute, we thought, we thought things were going to get happy around here. For just a minute, we thought there was going to be a move of God. We thought for a minute, all that silence was gone. Oh, thanks for bringing us back into normalcy. But what he actually did was he circumvented the potential that God had for Nazareth. Because the Bible says Jesus could only do a few small miracles in Nazareth. Can I tell you that the greatest power in God, the greatest power in the earth is not even God, it's your attitude. It really is. Even God couldn't get his own children into the promised land because they had an attitude that was too fearful, too, too afraid of living in their potential. And so I've, I've come to ask a couple of things. Number one, don't be so familiar with yourself that you diminish who you are in God. Some of us are like, oh, all I can think about is how many times I've disappointed myself, my spouse, my family, my, my friends. God could never use me to bring peace, bring heaven's culture into the earth. God could never use me to heal somebody. I'm, I'm just saying, I, can I say it nicely? You're wrong. You're wrong. The glory of God comes into his people. The divine nature, if you're saved, the divine nature, the glory. Peter says, you are the chosen generation. You are the holy nation. Holy is the word that breaks all the margins in your life. You are transcendent. There is, there is no barrier in your life to what God can do. If you'll just not let those words be chains to your spiritual authority. And the second thing is don't, don't be so familiar with one another that you diminish the potential that's in the person sitting next to you. Like, oh, God could never use my husband because he doesn't pick his underwear up, you know? God could never use my husband. God could never use my wife. Listen, do, do not underestimate the dynamic of the grace that God wants to release over the people that you know. Oh, it's Joseph's son. He could never be great. Step back and watch. Step back and watch. Bow your heads. My closing prayer is for anyone today who would be courageous enough and honest enough to say, you know, Pastor, there are some words that my heart, to which my heart has fastened, and they're diminishing me. Maybe it's self-talk, or maybe it's words that somebody else has said, but they've wounded you, they've, they've held you, and I've come to try to speak liberating words over your life, words that release freedom to be who God actually has designed you to be. And if you give me permission to pray with you, Pastor Mel's gonna come in just a moment and conclude the service, but I just wanna pray for your freedom from hindering words and an opening of your heart to the trajectory that God has proclaimed for your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and if you just give me permission to pray for your liberty, to pray for your freedom, to pray for your deliverance from those bad words, would you lift your hand right now all over the house? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Since 
That's a lot. That's most. That's many. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray over you right now. I see those hands that are up, up in the balcony as well. I'm praying for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray according to the power of the resurrection. And like Paul spoke over the Colossians church, I am speaking over Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. And I am saying you can become a reservoir of wisdom and, and, and knowledge. You can know the pleasures of the Lord over your life. You can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can know the fullness of God. And Father, I'm just agreeing with what you've already said. I'm agreeing that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and that our life is the light and the hope of this region. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that every word that continues to have power to keep us down would be broken now. Broken now. Every curse, broken now. So that the words of Jesus can become spirit and life to us. And we praise you because you are the God who sets us free. Thank you, Jesus, for a new trajectory. Be glorified by our lives as we speak peace to the places you intend to go in Jesus' name.